I'm Danine Rasmus. Welcome to another episode of The Weekly Wrap. This is a podcast in which I will tell you about some of the top articles from the latest edition of Farmers Weekly. And we will also take a look at the week's biggest agricultural news stories. New on shelf this week is our 11 June issue. In this magazine, we look at how one Eastern Cape farmer has benefited from participation in a mohair empowerment program. And we hear from a macadamia farmer who has switched from using manual labor for harvesting to using predominantly mechanical harvesting. Readers can also look forward to articles on organic dairy production and the prevention and control of sclerotinia fungus on grain and oilseed crops. Let's start with a closer look at the use of mechanization in macadamia farming. During the macadamia harvest season, that takes place between March and August each year. Many farmers are faced with sourcing and managing hundreds of casual laborers to collect nuts off the orchard floor. Bram de Kok, who farms on the outskirts of Nalspreit in Mapumalanga, said he had to employ about 100 people on his 200 hectare farm to ha- harvest the nuts. But he says he prefers that people who work on the farm also live on the farm. With the amount of people needed for the harvest, this was, however, just not possible to accommodate. That is why he started using a contractor to manage labor. But he was then concerned by the security risk posed by not having control over the movement of people on the farm. This then led Dukok to make the decision to mechanize his harvesting four years ago which then cut the labor force by 60%. Many of the Cox's permanent workers have, however, since been upskilled to handle the machinery, which has brought an added benefit for his permanent staff. De Cook has been fortunate in that the layout of his 15-year-old orchards are conducive to mechanized harvesting. The trees are spaced 8 meters between rows and 4 meters within the row, which is standard and perfectly adequate for mechanization. His harvesting starts when the first nuts start to fall from the trees around the end of March. At this stage, a team of harvesters is sent in to pick up the nuts, which can't be left on the ground to wait for the bulk of the crop to mature. Once most of the nuts have reached maturity, an ethapon application is done to get the maximum nut drop. A tree shaker is then used to ensure all the nuts are dislodged. This is then followed by a mechanical sweeper which is sent in to bring the nuts to the middle of the row, followed by the mechanical harvester which scoops the nuts up from the floor. A team of workers is then sent through the orchards later in the season to pick up the last nuts that still fall. De Cook notes that Key to mechanization is adaptability. The machines they bought to do the harvesting all had to be adapted to suit their specific needs. And they had to appoint a full-time maintenance manager to keep all the machines running. De Kock says, however, that he has not yet done the calculations to see how long it will take for him to see a return on investment. But he is happy with his decision to switch to mechanical harvesting because it has relieved some of the stress associated with managing a big workforce. 
Now let's move on to a story from the Eastern Cape. Moe producer Sindile Lloyd-James says one thing he has learned these past years is that going from part-time communal farming to full-time commercial farming is much easier said than done. James's real farming journey started when he was granted a five-year lease agreement for a farm near Pearson in the Eastern Cape in 2011. This lease was then later extended to a 30-year contract with the option to buy the farm once the contract expired. When the 2,000-hectare farm was handed over to him, James talked to Dale Cunningham, the previous owner of the farm, who agreed to leave 100 Beefmaster cattle on the farm on the condition that the offspring would be equally divided between the two of them. James also struck a similar deal with another farmer from Pearson, Lewitt Lauter, who supplied him with 300 Angora goats. Cunningham also helped James to develop a business plan to qualify for recapitalization funding aimed at infrastructure development. The four and a half million rand that James received was used to put up fencing for camps, three sheds that can each accommodate 100 Angora goats, a livestock handling facility, and three boreholes to improve water security on the farm. Between 2013 and 2015, he was losing many more kids and calves due to diseases and predation than he was producing, making him realize he needed to do things differently. In an attempt to address his knowledge gaps, he started going to as many short courses and information days as he could fit in. One of his first farmers' meetings was with the Nguni Association in Net after which he managed to get 30 Nguni cattle via the Eastern Cape Department of Agriculture's Nguni program. The deal is that he will refund the program in calves once he has the means to do so. But his real watershed moment came in 2016, after he started going to the Moe Empowerment Trust meetings. In January last year, the trust provided James with 600 weathers, and because of his great results with these, an additional 200 ewes was given to him in March this year. He also received two rams. Besides having better genetics, thanks to the trust, some of James's biggest breakthroughs were achieved thanks to the South African Moe Growers Association's Angora Goat Management Plan, which stipulates when farmers should do what in terms of health management, feeding, and the management of goats during different production stages. His plans for the future is to increase his Angora herd to 1,500 animals. He also wants to venture into Angora stud farming. He says that Angora goats are pretty hard work in comparison with other kinds of livestock. But he has learned that by taking proper care of the animals, he is able to achieve a good return. He also advises other new farmers to buy the best goats they can afford when they start out. Let's now quickly look at some of the top agricultural news from the last week. Imports of potato chips are posing a threat to South Africa's potato producers. According to Willy Jacobs, CEO of Potatoes SA, South African potato producers have suffered a severe knock during the COVID-19-related lockdown due to the fact that the informal sector, which accounts for 66% of potato trade on the national fresh produce markets, 
was restricted from trading during the first weeks of the lockdown. In addition, Jacob said, input costs have been increasing faster than market prices for the past decade, resulting in market prices moving sideways. This has meant that producers have to produce more and more potatoes per hectare to survive financially. On top of this, producers have to compete with French fry imports from various EU countries. French fry imports per se is not a threat to local production, according to Jacobs. But he says some of these imports are sold for less than what it costs to produce them. Imports were negatively affected during the first few months due to trade disruptions because of the lockdown, but skyrocketed to an all-time high of 4.3 million kilograms in November last year when EU countries started looking for markets to offload stocks. South Africa imported 7.3 million kilograms of French fries during the first three months of 2021. According to Jacobs, imports of frozen fresh fry, French fries has declined by more than 60% since October 2016, thanks to the implementation of anti-dumping duties against certain companies in Belgium and the Netherlands. However, these measures were currently under review by the International Trade Administration Commission of South Africa, and if they were cancelled, it could add even more pressure due to imports. South Africans increased their consumption of meat during the past year, despite the economic impact of COVID-19. A study on changing eating habits has revealed that meat consumption has increased over the past year at the expense of vegetables. The Unilever State of the Plate study tracks changes in the composition of the typical South African plate of food. This year's results showed that financial strain as a result of COVID-19 led consumers to simplify their eating habits. Kim Reddy, the fast-moving consumer goods leader for Sub-Saharan Africa at Nielsen IQ, who conducted the research, said that people are being more careful about how they spend their money. This has led to them buying less variety, less luxury food products, and more bulk purchases when products are on promotion. However, the percentage of people eating meat every day increased from 29% in 2019 to 46% in 2020. South Africans' consumption of vegetables is far below the internationally recommended share of 33% of daily food intake. South Africans' consumption of vegetables is far below the internationally recommended share of 33% of daily food intake, coming in at only 14%, while starch consumption, which should be at 33%, was at 41%. Reddy noted that the variety of vegetables eaten has reduced due to bulk buying, with tomatoes, onions, cabbage and carrots being the most consumed, while there was a significant decline in banana and mango consumption. Other news stories in this issue look at food price inflation, which is currently at its highest level since 2017. The recent legislative proposal to not allow South Africans to own guns for self-defense and farmers are warned to brace themselves for sharp increases in fertilizer and agrochemical prices. That was it for this week. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Weekly Wrap. 
Join us again next week when one of my colleagues will discuss some of the features from the 18 June issue, in which we feature Simbra Breeder, who provides helpful advice to commercial beef producers on how to breed and select profit-making bulls. Readers can also look forward to learning more about Protea and Fainbull's propagation, as well as the use of piggery wastewater for irrigation and how this can benefit soil quality. We also speak to a sheep farmer from the Karoo about how he has managed to keep his farm going during a seven-year drought. Remember to follow us on social media for all the latest farming news updates. We are on Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn at Farmers Weekly SA. Until next week, stay safe and happy farming.